Hey, howdy, hey! Welcome, Welcome to, to the Texans Take. Take. Alrighty. Well, um, so we've got big news for North Carolina. Good and wonderful news. You want to tell it, Brig? You're the one that told me. B-Mask, June 1st. Oh, oh, I was like, wait, what did I tell you? Wait, there's nothing good about North Carolina. What are you talking about, Stuart? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, what? What side of whose bed did you wake up on this morning? That's right, that's right. <laughs> now, uh, according to reports as of yesterday, obviously today's a different day and things change. But yeah, true. as of yesterday, uh, June 1st is apparently lifting of all restrictions and uh, no more social distancing or mass mandates. It's, you know, you'll get to come out of your house on June, June 1st. And as you're walking to your, your car, shadow. as you're walking to your car, <laughs> just dump the mask and the, in the garbage can and get in your vehicle and go. Please don't dump your mask in your garbage can. Bring it to me so that I can burn it. <laughs> we'll have a, a giant mask burning. Yes, and it'll be wonderful. Probably send up a uh, probably a poisonous smoke into the air. Probably shouldn't breathe it, but it's going to happen anyway. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so sooner the better. If I could get rid of all the stupid mask nonsense tomorrow, I'd do it. Uh, <clears throat> but, um, anyway, uh, well, hey, um, we finished up with first Samuel, so, uh, we didn't read all of it, no, 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 but we read about half of it, um, reading through David's story, and, uh, so, now we're moving on to the second book. Of Samuel and the first book of Samuel for everybody that's been following along uh, when it gets to David it's the story of David you know he's gonna be king pretty early on mm -hmm. find out pretty quick David is gonna be king you know that Saul's king <clears throat> but um, uh, God sends Samuel up to um, the house of Jesse and uh, tells him to anoint David as my my future king uh, or as my king anoint him as my king um, and so the rest of the book is basically David struggling with uh, Saul or Saul struggling against David he knows full well that David's gonna be king uh, eventually um, I don't know if anybody outright tells him, but he finds out pretty quick that the spirit of God is writing not on in the him. wall. He's yeah. yeah, the spirit of God is not in him, and he knows very surely that the spirit of God is in David, and so it's uh, Saul struggling with that for the rest of his existence, uh, and David is always good to Saul and to his descendants, and so you can see. Um, Saul finally dies after um, the spirit of Sam, uh, the spirit of, uh, of Samuel, uh, you know, comes to Saul and says, "Hey, you and your kids are dead. Bye. Sorry." It's more like Saul came to the spirit of Samuel. True, pulled him back. Um, he went to a uh, a medium, is what. The New King James Version calls it. Um, what verse is that? I'm just curious what the... We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. <laughs> All right, we are b -b 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 back. All right, we're going to go ahead and start reading <clears throat> the second book of Samuel. So here we are with the Duck Commander Faith and Family Bible, New King James Version. Uh, so uh, the first book... The first chapter, uh, the caption is the report of Saul's death. So Saul died in the very last chapter, and that one is called the tragic end of Saul and his sons. And they didn't end so well. Died in battle. Uh, Saul and one of his men were, you know, out there. Basically, everybody else was mowed down. It was just them, and the Philistines are going to come take them and 
who knows what they're going to do to them. But Saul's like, man, I don't really want that to happen. So he looks at his uh, soldier and he says, hey, would you stab me? <laughs> the guy's like, uh, no, no, I, I'm not doing that. Are you kidding me? Uh, and Saul's like, well, it's something that ought not be done. Yeah. And Saul's like, uh, well, all right, well, if you're not going to kill me, then I'm going to kill me because I'm not going to let them kill me. So he falls on his sword. And his soldier's like, shoot, that wasn't a bad idea. So he falls on his sword too. Um, and Saul and all of his sons, sadly, including Jonathan, uh, were killed. Their heads are chopped off and their bodies were nailed to the wall. Um, there's a couple of um let's see now when the inhabitants of jabesh gilead heard that the philistines had done or what the philistines had done to saul all the valiant men arose and traveled all night <clears throat> and took the body of saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of bethshan and they came to jabesh and buried them there then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at jabesh and fasted seven days so <clears throat> That is quite the end of Saul, and his lineage, for that matter. Well, his sons, anyway. Yeah. Um, now David has uh, was it two daughters. Yeah, probably loads of daughters, but those are the only ones that the Bible mentions. that are mentioned. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say is Jonathan um, makes not just one but two covenants with David. And basically says, hey, man, whatever happens, I love you, man. And I pray that you will be good to my descendants, be good to my sons, my daughter, and my family. And David promises him and swears to him and says, hey, whatever happens, I will be good and I'll look after your family. And so now David has a chance to do that. Um, <clears throat> let's read. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he's where will you go, Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> where have you come from? Where'd you go? Where'd you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Would that be weird? <laughs> you come back, everybody is dead. You're the last guy standing, blood all over, dust on your head. You fall down in front of who you're pretty darn sure is the king, and he starts dancing around doing Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> what? That sounds like any Texas dance hall I've ever been to. <laughs> pretty sure that's not what happened here. No, I'm I'm almost certain of it actually. Uh, that sounds like some sort of oh man, what in the world? That's like, that's like at the end of the movie, like this big horrific movie. But at the end, uh, they show deleted scenes and just like yep. bloopers, blooper reel and stuff, you know. And the guy falls flat on his face. So they're all dead. They gone. And David's like, "Where do you come from?" And then he forgets his lines. And so he just starts doing the Cotton Eye Joe dance. And then, like, everybody around there, all 30 of them, start line dancing. Yeah, anyway. <clears throat> That's not what happens here. <clears throat> so it was, when he came, he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. I'm going to give them. British accents, because that's what I do. So he said to him, um, I escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, Well, the people have fled from the battle. Many of the people have fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his sons, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, As it happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, 
here I am. And he said to me, who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me again, please stand over me and kill me. For anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening, for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, how was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Um... It goes on from there, uh, uh, the Song of the Bow. It's not the end of the chapter, but just kind of a little synopsis. <clears throat> so this guy that killed Saul is an Amalekite. Mind you, they were fighting the Amalekites, weren't they? The Amalekites, no, no, the Amalekites were kind of tussling with um, Israel and the Philistines, weren't they? Right, yep. Um and so David says, you know, where have you come from? Uh, I escaped from the camp of Israel. He says, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. So he might have been a, a prisoner. A prisoner of war, maybe. Of war or something. Uh, the people have fled from the battle and the people have fallen. Okay. The young man who told him said, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on, leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. So, if you remember in the last chapter, Saul fell on his spear. That he did. Well, no, he fell on his spear or his sword? Hold on. I should be able to look at I think back. it was his spear. I think it was his spear, too. Uh, his armor bearer would not kill him, so Saul took, took his sword and fell on it. So it says he took a sword and fell on it. Okay, so it was a sword, not a spear. That's unusual for him. Um, and let's see. Uh, now when he looked behind him and saw me and called to me, and I answered, here I am. And he said to me, where are you? I answered him, I'm a Malachite. <clears throat> There he was leaning on a spear. Well, here it says leaning on a spear, and I don't know. When I when I think leaning on my spear, if there wasn't war and the last chapter for context, mm -hmm. it would sound sound like he's just holding it in his hand, resting it on the ground, and leaning on it, just saying, Hey, young man, would you kill me? But um, what it sounds like to me is he'd already tried to run himself through. Remember, he told his armor bearer, Hey, kill me, and guy says heck no so he falls on his sword and then his armor bearer is like shoot they're gonna get me too and so he falls on his sword um and so that might not have killed him that is true and so he might be sitting there on the ground just kind of like oh didn't do it right and this and then this amalekite comes by and he says hey and it says you know leaning on a sword or on a spear and he says um you know, would you end me? Um, <clears throat> let's see. So I answered him, and I'm an Amalekite. And he said to me again, please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but life still remains in me. And I think that is what he's saying. Stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, right? I tried really hard. He's at killed. the end. They're going to come kill him. He's not going to kill him. Have you noticed this? Uh, he's bad. He's terrible. He tries to kill himself. 
Can't even do that and right. He can't even do that. And so that's why I think he says, but my life still remains in me. He's like, dude, I'm at the end of my tether. Uh, but I'm still here. <laughs> and so I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. Um, and I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm. Okay. And so then they came... And David said to the young man, uh, where are you from? And he answered, I am uh, an Amalekite. Uh, how are you not afraid to put, your, for, put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. Uh, so David said to him, your blood is on your own head, for your mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. And so, um, you know, David wouldn't let any of his men kill Saul. He wouldn't kill Saul. And apparently Saul couldn't even kill himself. Um, and so, you know, this guy comes with crown and bracelet in hand saying, hey, man, I know they're dead because I killed Saul. He asked me to. <laughs> and... Um, and David said, you know, well, you killed him. Penalty for killing the Lord's anointed is death. So on your head be it. See, um, he always goes back to this Lord's anointed. That yep, He is yep, God's anointed. Yep. And that's the punishment for killing the Lord's anointed is death. Um, I feel like we could draw a parallel. Now, what was his proof? He, he brought back a bracelet? Bracelet and it? crown. Bracelet and crown. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting he that says, he didn't grab uh, the ring. Do, 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 do. Let's see. Uh, b -b 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 Which brings me to and question. I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm. Yep. What's that? So I, I no, I was just drawing a, a thing. I wonder if the Israelites had, you know, like Saul bracelet. Uh -huh. Any other king would have had a signet ring, and that's what you would have taken back. Yeah. as I've killed the king, because how else would you have given it or gotten it unless he gave it to you? Right. <laughs> I don't know. Which most kings, you know, that is a thing. You know, it's a signet ring. It's the it's the crest of the house. Yeah. So bringing the crown is one thing, but specifically it says bracelet, not like a signet ring. So I wonder if that was arm his. Bracer, that's guess. what I was thinking, an yeah. arm bracelet instead of a, a signet ring, which yeah. is not, that's actually an Egyptian thing. Maybe they were know. one of the ones that started the arm bracelets. Yeah. But it is just I'm just drawing interesting things there because that's why we have that's why we have the signet rings, right? But generally, until I'd say, really about the common era, you know, probably late early early 1800s, late 1700s, signet ring was a big thing, even then. Uh, and then it kind of went from that to any household could have his own signet ring. And that's when the crests, you know, different households had their own crests mm -hmm. and such. It went, went after that. But initially it was kings and royalty. Yeah. That was how you distinguished a king or a royal was by, by their ring. On his ring. Right. Yeah. Even, even in the, uh, even in the, the culture of, and I mean, wh whether you like it or not, the, the English culture is a good, it's still a good standing for what a kingship should be. Sure. Or, you know, in this age, we have a queen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like the king would always have his signet ring, you know, until the day he died and they would remove it and give it to the heir. Yeah. You know, but until the day he died, the heir didn't wear the signet ring. That was something specifically for the king. There were other distinguishing factors, obviously. You knew there were royalty, but there were other distinguishing factors with the king would wear the signet ring. Right. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things, if you go back and <laughs> just, if you go back and look and when, uh, what was it, Albert that abdicated? That's one of the things in the record that he, that he relieved him. He relieved himself of the signet ring. Yeah. And, and gave it to his brother, George. Yeah. And that was that was the I've abdicated. It's no longer mine. It's if you look back and read some of the transcripts that you can read that are public, and you can find them online. But uh, that's one of the things he left on the desk when he, when he left. 
What's his is it Albert signet ring? or I think it was Albert. That was it. Al, I think it was Albert. Edward or I forget. I, I'm ter- I'm terrible with names. Well, I mean, here we've yeah, got right uh, we've got the the Library of Alexandria at our, as your dad calls it at our. Yep, we do. Yeah, Albert the Sixth. Albert, okay. It's Albert the Sixth. He was the uh, the last king to abdicate. Okay. Which is a that's a sad thing. Not that I, I won't I won't go down that rabbit trail sure. too far, but just because he was, you know, obviously they had standards, which I, I love that. I love that about the English royalty. They did as much as they fall from certain standards. Sure, they did have standards for their own family and the appearance they held for mm-hmm. the world because they were the set stage. Right, and that they so like. The reason that he abdicated, if you don't know the, the whole reason, is because he was marrying a woman who had been divorced for no good reason. Right. And on top of that, she wasn't even royal to begin with. She was an American. Right. That part was uh, not the main issue. The issue, the main issue. The main issue was she was divorced and for no good biblical reason. Yeah. Because though, you know, we could argue whether the British royalty is Christian or not. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The fact is, they were still holding the standards of right. Yeah, there was know, there was a lot of compounding issues, but that was the main. The, issue the main was. one was, hey, I'm I'm going to marry this woman, and she's you know divorced. That wasn't even the big issue because though that was a leading issue, like question of well, why was she divorced? Well, you know, her husband's still alive. There was no good reason other than they, they couldn't get along. Right. You know, <laughs> that's why. And so it's like that's not a good enough reason. And instead of choosing his family, and I'm kind of a, I'm, okay, not kind of, I'm a chemist. Yeah. You know, your family first. Instead of choosing his, his family, he chose to marry someone who's divorced and really just kind of tortured what we now know of as the throne. Uh-huh. And it's one of the reasons I think a lot of people have a negative view of the throne. Yeah. Is really because of everything Albert did that just um, disgraced it. Mm-hmm. Uh... But we could. I don't know if it was specifically Albert that you know. Obviously, he well, did. He, he was he was a leading factor in the '30s, and obviously, we had yeah, yeah. a lot to deal with then. But that was just one of those. You know, it was a it was like a compound fracture. Yeah. It only takes yeah. one more thing to break it completely. Yeah. You know. So I mean, he he was he was the hammer that dealt the blow, and then since then there have been obviously big issues, and uh, we should we should say you know. Was it uh, Philip just passed away? So you know that's that's a big that's a big. He was thing. old, wasn't he? He was. He was. Uh, uh, I, I can't remember exactly. I can't remember exactly. I was reading about it. How long they had been married, and that right there. That's a long time. Well, that's because it, it wasn't exactly an, an outstanding marriage at the beginning. Hmm. You know, I've I've actually I've I've gotten really addicted to uh, the the Crown mm-hmm. series, and. I'm I'm horrible. I am that guy that will watch one episode and then look up everything in that episode just to see how accurate it is. Yeah, uh, it's startlingly accurate, mm-hmm. and that's the only reason I've continued watching it. But they they had lots of troubles, and it, the main reason was he did not want you know his wife to be clean. Yeah, he wanted them to stay away from it. Not let's not enter that door, you know. And then when when you know obviously it was her. Uh, she was the only one that could do it, obviously. Yeah. He kind of he he stood with her through all of these years, which I, you know, it's a lot of years. It's a lot of years. There's <laughs> a lot of troubles. I mean, it's just it's kind of I was reading a story and I uh, you know, for whatever it is, you know, we won't go into Diana too too hard here sure. because that's not, you know, there's a lot of conspiracies wrapped sure. around yeah, around right. that, just the same as there are Kennedy. And just take away all that. But I did not know. I was watching uh, one of the just one of the things that came up with with Philip's uh, with uh, Prince Philip's death is um, I did not know that the the family did not want the the children to walk with their mother's casket. Hmm. They wanted them to ride in in one of the the vans or the the cars. Yeah, and uh, the kids didn't want to ride in the cars. They wanted to walk, and. Uh, Everyone was against this, and finally Philip, Prince Philip stood up and said, Look, if you want to walk, we will throw the car in the garage, and I will walk with you the whole way. And it was several miles yeah. through the, the, you know, from the, the church to the, 
the grave. Mm-hmm. I mean, several miles through through the, the the city, and but that was just kind of it was kind of an interesting story. It's like, well, the kids wanted to do it, and no one else did, right? Because someone had to walk with them, right? As as guardianship, because they were very you know very young when it happened, and it was like, look, if no one wants to walk, I'll walk, I'll with, walk you. with you. Yeah. I'll walk with you. You want to walk? That's fine. We'll do it. Let's do it yeah. together. And there were apparently several that after that were like, oh, well, you know, if, you, if you're going to do it, I'll do it too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, um, it, it was a large procession of people just walking. Yeah. And it started with, uh, with Harry and uh, I'm drawing a blank, William. Mm-hmm. They, they wanted to, to walk behind their mother's casket, which was yeah. very honorable, I thought. Yeah. But even more honorable that uh, you know they weren't going to get to do it until Prince Philip stepped up and said, "Look, you want to do that? Let's do it. I'll honor that. Let's let's do it." Yeah. And there's there's a picture. It's actually one. I didn't know it was so famous, but there weren't supposed to be any photographers on that end of the street. Huh. And somebody took a snapshot of all the three of uh, there was five of them walking in a just military style march behind the casket. Yeah. That's that's cool. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. cool. That's real cool. Uh, you know, obviously, <laughs> thank the person who took that picture because it is. It's kind of it's 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 a mesmerizing moment. And yeah. you know, I say you know, a lot of people. Uh, we'll start with a lot of people. You know, the 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 tragedy of death is everyone is sad. You mourn and everything. Um, and and I I don't necessarily think it should be that way. Um, I think, you know, it should be kind of a celebration of one's life, what mm-hmm. they did, you know, not so much, you know, oh, they're dead now. It's, it's more of like, what did they do while they right. were here? Right. You know, and that's, you know, <laughs> and I, I, you know, take my dad's perspective. He always said, he was like, uh, y'all have a barbecue when I die. You're not allowed to have a funeral. <laughs> we're not, we're, we're not crying. We're not, there were no, yeah, we will have a, I want, he said, I want y'all to throw a big party. Yeah. Like that's what I want, you know, and and I've kind of always said that, you know, that's that's a good way to look at it. It's a good way to remember him. It's a good way to remember someone. It's just what they did, you know. It it shouldn't be. Obviously, there's always going to be tears. You're not going to take that away. Death is unnatural. Yeah. But let's go ahead and have a party. Yeah. But back to back to Saul and David, you know, I I'm I'm startling startlingly um you know just surprised with everything that David could do easily doesn't yeah. you know he all he, he always goes back to look saul he's still god's anointed you know even though he's fully aware at this point that he's obviously the next king right but he doesn't he doesn't let them stop him from his honor and that dignity and you know you know that that he holds because that is god's anointed yep. that's uh that's kind of i guess you know a a good staple for for honor in general it is and how we should you know i'm, I'm gonna jump out there may not necessarily like our president mm-hmm. but there is a certain level of of he is the president yeah you know uh do i like that no, no. i don't do i think he's there by all good reason no but god has a plan mm-hmm. and whether it's for good or bad you know God's God's put a lot of bad kings on the throne. Yeah. And he's done it for the right reason. Because people weren't listening. And it's a way to bring people back. So, you know, and I'm I'm not gonna reach out there and say that Saul was a good king. I'm not necessarily sure he was. No. I think he was a harsh king. I think he was highly misguided. And obviously in his later years, very, very much selfish, scared. You know, had no fear of God. He was scared, but he wasn't afraid of God. Yeah. You know, and and that's that's dangerous when you're mm-hmm. no longer afraid of God, but you're scared. You know, you're a, you're you're like a baby. You're just running around. Honestly, that's 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 what everybody is who does not know God. Exactly. You, know, you see a lot of people who don't know God, and they live their life in constant fear. They're not yeah. afraid of God, but they are scared. They are scared. And. You know, with that, we'll we'll take an obscene profit break, and we'll be right back. Right back. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. <laughs> All right, we uh, are back. So, uh, Saul's dead. Uh, the Amalekite, what we think, prisoner, uh, who killed Saul. 
brought the crown and the bracer or the bracelet to uh, David. And David's like, dude, you killed God's anointed. It's on you. You're dead. And that's what happened. So now we move on. The Song of the Bow. Then David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the Song of the Bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughter of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. And the weapons of war perished. That is the end of the uh, first chapter. It's interesting. David had very few good times with Saul. Um, but <laughs> very few. That's limited to what? Maybe a couple? He loved that family a lot. He did. You know? Especially mainly, Jonathan. Mainly for Jonathan. You know, he had a deep relationship, a, a wonderful friendship with Jonathan true friendship um that's kind of one of those things like the friendship that you and I have you know it even goes deeper than that yeah which for me is a little hard to fathom we'd have to go into probably about 10 bar fights and 10 battles before we'd be up you know their level I don't know. We'd come out on top. We would. <laughs> we would. I'm not saying they wouldn't sign up for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always, you know, that that's kind of been since I've had the, the strong. And what's funny is the, the Jonathan David thing is not what created my my development as far as friendship goes. Yeah. But, you know, my, my idea of friendship is, you know, in the hardest moment. Can you name five people you're going to call? Hmm. Yeah, I can name three people in a situation of dire need that I would contact to actually help me. And in situations, all three have proved to be champs. And in turn is the same. Yeah. They called me to do the same thing. I would drop everything to do it. And the one, you know, that I, the, the, furthest back that I remember is, you know, Matt. Mm -hmm. This man helped me. I, I, I was, I was a dummy <laughs> and I put too much oil in my car and I didn't think about it until after I was already driving. And I was like, okay, I've got to stop here in this parking lot. Mind you, there's two inches of snow on the ground. Yeah. It's still snow pretty hard. Like we're in the middle of one of those North Carolina flash storms. Yeah. And I pulled up into uh, one of my part-time jobs. And one of the managers is a really good friend of mine. And I was like, look, I put too much oil in my car. And he's like, well, let's fix that. Pulled off his manager shirt, left it in the office, and came out and helped me get under my car with his tools in two inches of snow yeah. and drained some oil out. Wow. You know? William's the next one, you know. The the countless times William has come to my rescue. I tell you, William is a he's a truck man. I mean, the he most really recent is. one is brakes going out at the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
pulling into the hospital like okay i'm getting a tow i need someone to pick me up he's getting off work like oh yeah i'm i'm there yeah, yeah same thing with you multiple situations I mean, how many times have i called you just randomly it's like oh yeah i can do that yeah <laughs> yeah it's just like it's you have those people and what a lot of people compute as friendships is acquaintances mm -hmm. you know them but you know, would they would they leave their job early to come help you? You know, if that was is it that important to them? Would they mm -hmm. take a bullet for you? Obviously, that's an extreme. You know, would they guard your honor when you're not around? Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. You know, and William's done that countless times. Yeah, he has. He and has. vice versa. You know, I I'm 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 a very staunch person about you know someone else's honor if you're if you're not like bold enough to go talk to them yourself about the issue then then you're talking to me is just tasting their honor behind their back mm. you know and i will i'll tell you the same thing if i'm talking to somebody about you you can you can bet millions of dollars if you came and asked me i'd tell you the same thing yeah and i had this situation with a gal that i worked with she uh she went to the manager because she found i was having a conversation she wasn't doing her job and i was having to do it obviously that wasn't pivotal but i wasn't really happy about it and i made a comment to one of the other employees and i was talking about hey have you noticed this it was really just like am i the only one maybe i'm just you know that was really where my mind was well she went to the manager like hey he's talking about my back and that manager was matt actually Oh, really? And the general manager, who also knew me very well, they both looked at this gal and was like, have you asked him what he thought? And she said, well, no. She was like, and both of them looked at her dead in the face and were like, you need to, because he ain't said nothing that he won't say to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guaranteed, if you go ask him Guaranteed. right now, he will tell you exactly what he's told everyone else. Yeah. There's no reason for me to even step in. Yeah. You haven't even talked to him. You know, and that's, I'm not tooting my own horn at all. I'm just saying that's how you should be. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to talk about people, be willing to have that conversation face to face. And when people are distasting someone's honor behind their back, you need to be able to stand up for them. Yeah. Because they're not there to do it. That's right. That's right. And I think that's, that's the type of relationship that you see with Jonathan and David. How many times did... Did Jonathan go to his father and say, hey, hey, man, this isn't exactly the way it is. And vice versa, even yeah. with David. Hey, I don't think my dad's like this. Yeah. Yeah. Just just the, you know, that, that discourse earlier on where they were, you know, where David's like, you know, hey, bro, your dad's out to get me. Like, yeah, he's, he's trying, trying to he kill me dead. And Jonathan's like, no, look, I just talked to dad about that. OK, hey, he doesn't hate you. He doesn't want to kill you. And David's like, yeah, pretty sure he does. And Jonathan's like, no. Hey, look, I'll, you know, I'll clear the air. I'll clear it, you know. And David's like, you know, well, and they came up with a little plan, and Jonathan, you know, added on to it, and they're like, you know, David's like, hey, I think he's trying to kill me. You don't, Jonathan. You don't think he's trying to kill me. I do. Yeah. <laughs> How are we gonna figure this out? Well, they figured out a little scenario. Asked a little question. Jonathan found out. And David said, hey, man, if, you know, if you can prove that, you know, your dad loves me and, you know, everything's great, then I'll hell, come back you know, around the family. Well, he was saying, you know, if I'm wrong, hell, I'll, I'll kill myself, you know? Yeah. And Jonathan's like, whoa, man, that's not, you know, don't need to do that. But um, uh, if I'm wrong, then I'll protect you. Right. I don't think I'm wrong, but if I am. I'll look out for you. Yeah. And so they figured it out and they worked it out. And, you know, David is right, obviously. And Jonathan is like, oh, shoot. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Good thing we set up a backup plan. Exactly. Right. And so, anyway, that's where, you know, David has got here. You know, he's, he's praising Saul and his son, Jonathan. And uh, so you've got this beautiful. It's beautiful, almost. Um, it's not a poem. Uh, eulogy, I guess. It's beautiful eulogy 
uh, here at the end, the song of the bow. Um, and, you know, just reading this, like, well, it's very, very well thought out, very well put together. And who better to come from than David, because David was talented in that area. There's an area that he was talented in, you know, he was good with the, the lyre or the harp, you know, he was a, a, a singer, he could sing well. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, David was, you know, Saul is the big, tall, strong, man among men, you know. Um, he can he can probably fix your truck in 10 minutes flat, you know. Um, David is not a big man. He's strong in heart. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, I believe he's more average height or smaller in stature, right. uh, probably very fit, you know, not incredibly muscular or anything like that, but a good fighter. Um, and uh, he was good with words and song and uh, good with the harp or the lyre. So anyway... Uh, he was what he was what you would call a, a fair young man, you know, not necessarily blonde hair. Might have had it, I don't know. But um, anyway, and so uh, after Saul and Jonathan are dead, he puts together this beautiful eulogy for them um, and sings their praises to high heaven. How the mighty have fallen. So that is the end of the first chapter of Sam Ewell. Um, we can read a little Samuel bit. Samuel 2. Uh, Samuel 2, that's right. The second second Samuel. Uh, Samuel 2. Uh, so we're going to read a little bit further into uh, the second chapter. Uh, David anointed king of Judah. So this is what David's been looking for for a while. Not like with open arms, but he knows that it's coming. So we've been looking for with open arms, you know, and we knew it was coming. We were kind of like, you know, David, this Saul dude has been trying to get you every time you turn a corner, you know. Uh, you know, we're kind of thinking along the lines of his men around him. Why don't you just kill him in the night, man? It'd be easy enough. David's like, no, God's anointed. He shall not be touched. Um, but he's gone. And so now, you know, uh, the king is dead. God save the king. Right. You know. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives, also Ahinoam, uh, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of the name Now we're familiar with Hebron. Uh -huh, yeah. That was uh, one of the shadowings that Bill was talking about. That's right, yeah. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord. For you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness, because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant. For your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, oh, he's the commander of Saul's army. The commander of Saul's army took Ishbosheth, a that's a uh, uh, footnote. Let's see what it says. Called Ishbal. Ah, in First Chronicles, interesting. So took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to uh, Mahanaim. Mahanaim, yep. And he made him king over Gilead, over Asherites. Uh, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. 
And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took one of Saul's boys and basically started gathering cities together and saying, Hey, this guy's your king. He's the king's son. He's Saul's son. He's your king. Um, I feel like that's going to go really well with God. Yeah. And so you have only... Do I see a smiting coming? You have only the house of Judah that's following David. Before it was all the others and Judah following Saul. Now it's just the house of Judah following David. Um, and so I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of conflict. Well, I, I don't think, you know, it's, <laughs> well, one, of, it's it, one of those things where, uh, so uh, let's let's break this down and, and give it to a two-year-old here. Mm-hmm. So you have um, Saul, who uh, God's, you know, God's left him. Yep. And his house, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, children included, yep. he's left his house, yep. and he has gone to David, mm-hmm. okay? So now you have, obviously, this is disgruntled employee mm-hmm. gathering up a son of Saul, yep. the house of Saul, who God has left, yep. and trying to ramp an entire, you know, let's just say country, mm-hmm. for the lack of better terminology at this moment, yep. um, against the anointed now that that worked really well for saul (laughs) when uh obviously he was still the anointed god had just departed from him so now we're working with someone who god is uh with and anoint yeah you know what um that doesn't make a lot of sense yeah i don't think it's gonna come out too I, i said it out like just to make sure i wasn't confused yeah but i feel like there's a rude awakening that's about to happen what's funny is that when you're reading this you can see how it's set up mm-hmm. and after you see how it sets up you're just you can like, just wow. stop reading and say you know what's probably going to happen next yeah and then you read the caption in the next part which i did not read i said I oh what is the caption now i'm curious israel and judah at war <laughs> <laughs> i mean they set it up so easily now Abner, the son of Ner, and his servants, uh, Manaheim, Mahanaim, yeah, Mahanaim, to Gibeon, and Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David, went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. Then Abner, the, the son of Ner, said to Joab, let the young men now rise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. So they arose and went over by number, twelve from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, twelve of the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place is called the Field of Sharp Swords. Uh, which is in Gibeon. So there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner, uh, the men of Israel, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now the three sons of Zeruiah were there: Joab and Abishi, Abishi, and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazette. What a description! Wow, that's a fast guy. I mean, so Asahel pursued Abner, and in going, he did not turn to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Are you Asahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to the left, and lay hold on one of the young men to take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner uh, said again to Asahel, "Uh, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear, 
so that the spear came out of his back. And he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that, uh, so it was that as many came to the place where Asahel, Asahel fell down and died, stood still. Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Ammah, which is before Gia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit, and took their stand uh, on top of the hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be better in the latter end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? And Joab said, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel any more, nor did they fight any more. Then Abner and his men went on all night, through the plain, crossed over Jordan, and went through all uh, Bithron, and they came to Manaheim. Mahanaim. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing of David's servants, nineteen men, and Asahel. For the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men, three hundred and sixty men who they died. They took up Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which is in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. That's a lot going on there. Uh, that's also the end of chapter 2. Um, so, I don't know. I feel like I should read through that a couple more times to try to really understand what all is going on. Because there's, there's a lot of this and that going on. Um, but, uh, anyway, I think we're going to take an obscene profit break and we'll be right back to conclude. We are back. We are back. Well, uh, I did not do the Texas fact thing today. It was you that did the Texas fact It was fact me. Thing. That's right. Uh, lots of, lots of, lots of interesting things about Texas, as we all know. Um, so here's one that just, I just really love this. It's just so cool. Uh, you know how everything's bigger in Texas, right? That's what oh, yeah. Everything's bigger in Texas. Which is funny because, um, we've got a, uh, a good friend, uh, Zeke, and... Uh, when we were growing up, you know, he always is kind of the, one of the contrarians, or he just, you know, anything that was on his mind, he'd say it, you know. Shocking. Shocking, you know, right? And anyway, so, we were talking about Texas, this, that, or the other, and he was like, you know what? They say everything's bigger in Texas, but I'm taller than every Texan that I've ever met. And Zeke's a little bit taller than I am, you know. He's about six three and a half, six four. Um... And I sat there thinking, I was like, yeah, but is it height that really makes the man? Ooh. And uh, now that's what I was thinking. That was what I'm thinking now. That's not what I actually said. I wish I did say that. But <laughs> that would have been good. Would have been good. Would have been a great comeback. So there you go, Zeke. There's my answer. It's a little late now, isn't it? What, 10, 15 years too late? You all seen The Incredibles? 15 years too late. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, all that to say. Everything is bigger in Texas. If Texas were its own country, and that's not the right one. Sorry, my bad. Ah, Texas, the Texas State Capitol building is the largest state capital in the nation. Wow. This is a quote according to theculturetrip.com. So, you know, whatever it's worth. In terms of gross square footage, the Texas Capitol is only smaller in size to the U.S. Capitol building. Additionally, the Texas Capitol dome actually sits seven feet higher than the U.S. Capitol's dome. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Win for Texas twice. Yes, it is. In fact, did you know that in Texas, uh, state mandate, the Texas flag is allowed 
and usually uh, re not required, but it's it's allowed to uh, fly at the fly same height, at the same height that the, as the U.S. flag. Now, why is that? Because Texas was a republic, and it joined the U.S. voluntarily. Right. It was not conquered. Yep, it was not conquered. So there you go for Texas. Um, Texas has three of Which the is top why Texas is the only picture. state that can still leave. Yeah, it is. Texas has three of the top ten most populous cities in the U.S. That's three of the top ten in Texas. These cities are Houston, being Houston Dallas, and San Antonio. The total population of the Texas Triangle Mega Region as of the 2010 census, mind you, this is 2010. It's 11 years since then, probably gotten bigger since then. But in 2010, it was 17,745,500. And the, 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 the Texas Triangle is Houston area for you, those of y'all who yeah. don't actually know what that is. So, it's Houston, Spring, and that whole area there, yeah. Columbus, that whole, that whole region. Yeah. Because so, though Houston is huge, it has several subdivisions. Oh, yeah. Katy, Spring, what is it? Conroe, what are they called? all the, of that uh, is Houston. Or something the like Woodlands. That? The Woodlands, that's it, yeah. That's all That's all part of quote-unquote Houston, but it is it, Houston <clears throat> essentially got so big that they had to subdivide into different regions yeah. for zoning purposes. Yeah. And which Houston is, like, amazing. Is, very humid and very flat. Oh my god! <laughs> With like twelve beltways. Yeah. Like driving in Houston is my least favorite thing. In fact, it's like I actually have pity on the people that have brought me to and from the airport. In fact, I think the best airport experience I've had, and I hate to say this, but like when my dad had his surgery, uh -huh. my aunt Rami picked me up. Oh, nice. She lives in Houston, so yeah. it's like, this is nothing more than a picnic walk for her. And I'm sitting there, like, the whole time, like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. How do you drive in this? Yeah. What yeah. are we doing right now? You know, she's like, oh, we're just going to, you know, go over here and get some. Well, no, she asked me. She was like, have you had coffee yet? It's midday. I actually messed up and was unable to get. I woke up late. Mm-hmm. And so I was unable to get coffee before I left the house. And so I'm like, the whole plane flight just, I don't do well without coffee, people. So a plane flight without coffee is like my version of hell. Mm. <laughs> you know? And so I get off the plane. I'm obviously looking drained. And my aunt's like, have you had coffee yet? I'm like, no. She goes, oh, then we need to go to Starbucks. Because you don't need not coffee. <laughs> you don't need not coffee. <laughs> I love it. And I was like, I, I'm on I board it. with this. And so we like, you we literally drive, we drove people, we drove to the other side of Houston to go to a Starbucks. And I'm sitting there going, it literally took us 35 minutes just to get to Starbucks. Yeah. And then it was a 35 minute wait at Starbucks. And then it was still a two hour drive to get back. I'm, I'm sitting there going, this is in. How do you, how do people do this daily? How do people do this daily? How do you have enough time? I want to go to the grocery store. It's going to take me forty five minutes to get there. I'm going to spend two hours at the grocery store, and it's going to take me forty five minutes to go back. Yeah. And that's assuming you're not in rush hour. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've heard of people being in rush hour for like three hours, and I'm going Yikes. to what? Did you like plan the gas? Why is it called rush hour when everybody's so stopped? I know. <laughs> I'm going, uh, this is no rush. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. you could listen to an entire book or two while you're like sitting. The only there. rush I'm getting is from road rage. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's coming all at once guys. Uh, yeah. Austin wasn't probably as bad as Houston. No, Austin actually it has its, it's had it. It has its bad mild. It has its bad. The, the roads in Austin are just terrible. Absolutely terrible. I mean, driving a sporty car down Austin roads is, you know, blah, 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 you know you're rocking, ricking in all over the place. It's like, good grief, people. Fix your roads. And then when they go fix them, you start cussing them out because now I can't get anywhere. Yeah, so now. Like, well. Y'all are stalling everything. Yeah, so anyway. 
Um, uh, so that's Houston. Houston's big, y'all. Amarillo. Other side of Texas. The top side Sit. of Texas. Amarillo is considered the helium capital of the world. Home to America's National Helium Reserve, Amarillo, which means yellow in Spanish, I believe, doesn't it? I'm not sure. I believe it does. You want to look that up quick? I will. Contains about 90% of the world's recoverable helium supply. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. Hey guys, Brug Lance with the Texans Take Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us. Listen to us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. 